Hey, I'm Tyler Olson. The show is Money Mediator. I'm an investment advisor and financial planner for medical professionals as they transition out of their training. Our busy life and sometimes our emotions can even have a big impact on our financial decisions. The goal here is to insert an objective view into the process, a mediator between you and your money. Today, we're going to be applying this to a specific part of the educational pipeline that medical students sometimes go through. Uh, We're going to be talking about uh, the uh, the pros and cons of the post-bachelorette program option that some students end up taking. Um, We're also going to be talking about uh, financially preparing oneself for the cost of medical school and its associated exams and applications. And thankfully, I will not be speaking of this uh, completely on my own as I'm I haven't gone through that process, but my guest today has. Um, Hannah, uh, who's from Florida, Uh, she's a pre-medical student, and she's agreed to speak with me on these topics today. Thank you so much for coming and uh, and joining me in this discussion, Hannah. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, Now, before we get into into those details that I just mentioned, Um, Two things. First of all, a disclaimer for anyone who's listening, nothing that we discuss today should be taken or perceived as investment advice. Um, And then secondly, um, Hannah, would you mind just sharing a little bit of background about yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Hannah and I am from Florida, like you said, and I am a pre-medical student applying in this current application cycle. And I actually initially went to college not knowing what I wanted to do. I thought that I might want to be a lawyer or a professor or something not in medicine. So I majored in a humanities. I got a humanities degree and later on decided that I wanted to go to medical school. So I found myself having to take all of the medical school prerequisites and to prepare to take the MCAT. So I kind of examined my options at that point and decided to do a post-baccalaureate program where I would take these classes. And so I enrolled in a formal, like a structured one-year career changer, sometimes they're called start from scratch programs, post-bac program, and took my prerequisites before applying to medical school. Hmm. Okay. So that's, would would you categorize that as relatively non-traditional, you know, compared to some of your peers? It is, I I think 30% of medical students have gone through a post-bac of some sort, but not all of those are career changer post-bacs. Some of those are programs for people who are trying to improve their GPA and make themselves more competitive for admission. So between the two types of programs, about 30% have. So it's still relatively non-traditional with most people coming straight through from undergrad. Okay. Okay. So, but yeah, I can, I can see why these programs exist because I mean, I remember when, when I was, you know, in my early twenties, as is the case with most people, you know, you don't really know exactly what you want to do. Uh, but you make some very significant time and financial commitments with college and, it takes you on a track and then all of a sudden you're like, well, you know, maybe I want to, maybe I want to do this instead. Right. So, uh, 
Yeah, I can I can see why these exist. But now this this program, what is its intent for, you know, with regard to like why you chose it? What were what were the benefits? Sure. So these formal programs, these structured programs, the intent is to kind of create a cohort of students who are all switching paths to go to medical school and to give them all of their required pre-medical classes and MCAT prep and usually some volunteer experience or clinical experience, kind of all in a package deal in one to two years. And usually they have a certificate of some sort attached at the end, not usually a master's degree if it's for the prereqs, but a certificate and also the kind of promise of being able to get letters of recommendation from the faculty in the program. And sometimes they also have associated linkage programs with medical schools. So if you complete the post-bac program with a certain GPA, and then sometimes you have to take the MCAT for these, and sometimes you don't, but you may or may not take the MCAT, then you can automatically link into medical schools that have agreements with your program. So kind of the goal is to expedite the pathway to medical school for career changers versus doing the do-it-yourself route where you enroll as a non-degree-seeking student at a local university and kind of put the courses together piecemeal. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So this is a, this package deal is designed to kind of push students, like to keep them on a certain pace giving them the kind of ancillary support that they need to fill in gaps and kind of feel like they're, they're being given the best possible start to applying to medical school. That's actually a really great way to describe it. Yeah. Kind of build in. Yeah. Kind of build in all of the ancillary support that you would need rather than having to find your own advising and organize your letters and all of that. Okay. Okay. Now, now conversely, like if you weren't to pursue this route, like if you were to do it by piecemeal, as you say, what would that involve? Yeah. So if you were going to do it piecemeal, I guess first kind of, you would have to decide that you wanted to go to medical school and then you would have to take all of the required pre-medical classes. And so that's usually two semesters of general chemistry, two semesters of organic chemistry, two semesters of biology, two semesters of physics, and a semester of biochemistry, kind of at the minimum. And then depending on where you want to go to school, some math, typically. Mm. And so you would have to take those. It ends up being about 30 to 40 credit hours. You'd have to find a university college or university in your area and enroll there as a non-degree seeking student and take the classes collect letters of recommendation from professors along the way gain clinical experience and then apply to medical school and that typically takes two to three years if you do it depending on how full-time you are um two to three years to kind of do it on your own Mm, okay Okay. And so it sounds like the, like the design of the, the post-bac program is to be faster and more efficient and more supportive uh, than the other route. You have to be kind of a self-starter to, to do it on your own. Yes. Yeah. You definitely have to be more 
um, committed to doing it on your own because a lot of people who go back and do postdoc programs are older and they've been working for several years, sometimes even in totally different industries. And so sometimes they don't want to go back and take, you know, bio 101 with the 18 year old college freshmen necessarily. Um, that's not like the most supportive environment for them, but these structured programs where they're on other career changers seems much more appealing. Mm, okay. Okay. That makes sense. So now I'm curious, the intent of these pro of this program or these programs is to, to expedite things to, you know, to allow you to be able to get to med school as quickly as possible. Is that what actually transpires in most cases or is it a mixed bag? Yeah, I think it really depends on the, the program that you do. And I think a lot of people come into these programs lured in by the promise of a linkage program. So if you go to XYZ postback program and you get a 3.5 GPA and you apply to this medical school, you'll find out, you know, in the second semester of your postback program that you got in and you won't have to take an extra year, a gap year to apply and you'll get to just go straight through. I think a lot of people come in expecting to do that and hoping to do that and kind of relying on that being what happens. And then they get to the program and they find out that either there's quite a few more requirements behind the linkage that they didn't know about, or just that they don't want to do that anymore. And so I think, I, I think most people I know have entered a postback thinking that they wanted to do a linkage and very few have actually ended up pursuing one. So in my program, out of 150 students who have been through it, five to six have actually ever linked anywhere. Well, that's not very many. It's not. Um, and there are some that have significantly more. Like Temple University has its own postback program that links to itself. And I think most of their students link. So it depends somewhat on the program that you do. But... I would say significantly more people come in planning to link and go straight through than to actually do. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. So, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that you're willing to talk about this because I think that like, while it may not be applicable to every person that's on the medical school track, um, it, it certainly is for, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of, of your peers. And now we haven't talked about cost yet because, you know, you think about the cost of undergrad and then this, I'm sure there's, you know, there's costs associated with it. And then the, you know, actual cost of medical school too. So how much do these programs cost? Yeah. So these structured programs, kind of the convenience and, benefits of these small cohort settings come definitely with a price. I, I think that they're anywhere from, I was trying to find the, the lowest price one I could find, and I think it was somewhere in the mid 30,000 to anywhere. Some of the programs in New York City are about $60,000 just for the all-in-one tuition price. And then you also have to pay to live and apply at the end of the year. So very expensive to do these programs. And you can get some level of federal student loans if they offer a certificate, I believe. 
and then people also take out private loans or um, savings to pay for them. And kind of the other option is this do-it-yourself program, which is depending on where you live and where you take the classes is typically going to be cheaper, but it's going to take longer and not have that structure built in with it. Okay. So I, I see the, like when, when someone is, you know, they're completing undergrad and they realize I want to go to medical school and they look back and they see what gaps are missing or what gaps there are. And this is a way in which to fill those gaps, but then there's the do it yourself way. Like I, I, I get the sense that there isn't like an absolute, like this is right, this is wrong. Uh, but really just educating yourself. Is that an accurate assessment? Yeah. And I, I think that there are definitely people who it ends up being like one or the other ends up being kind of a better choice for them clearly than other people kind of, it becomes a preference thing. I did a formal program looking back. I probably could have done a do it yourself program and done just as fine and saved some money. But, you know, I don't know that one is always better than the other. I think if you don't have, you know, if you only need to take a few classes, obviously it would be better to do a do-it-yourself program. Like if you started taking, you know, the pre-med classes in undergrad and then you stopped or something like that. Yeah, because like now you're, you're in Florida and if you were to, like, if, if you were to do it yourself, I can say you had, say you had the 30 to 40 credit hours that you needed and you were to do it yourself. How much would it cost compared to that 30 to $60,000 range you mentioned? Yeah. So in Florida credit hours for in-state students are about $215 per hour. So if you were going to take 32 credit hours, it would be like 7,000 ish somewhere in that range. I'd have to pull out my calculator. I'm very bad at math, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why you're, you're going. You're going to medical medical school. You don't focus on math right now, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, six thousand seven hundred eighty-four dollars. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that is uh, that is a huge plus, difference. like enrollment fees and stuff. Yeah. Wow. That is okay. Yeah. So you're talking about like seven, eight thousand dollars versus thirty to sixty thousand dollars. Um, yeah, d depending on your state, I guess, I think Florida is a fairly inexpensive state for higher education, but depending, I mean, they're all going to be less than, you know, 30 to 60,000. Right. I think you had, like we had, when we had talked before, like, cause I'm, I'm in Michigan and I think we had said that it was something like $600 or something like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe something like that. So it would that. be like $19,000 to do this in Michigan, which is still less, but much, much, much more. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is, that is a, that is a significant difference. So I would think like if I was able to look at both of these paths in front of me and I would realize, okay, this one option with the post back program is going to be a lot more expensive. But if I'm really like, if, if I'm really on a track where I know that I'm, you know, I, I have this program in mind and perhaps it's even with a school that I have some connection to uh, that I could link to, like you mentioned, the, the linkage programs. Maybe it, maybe, maybe there's some value in there. But on the other hand, you could also, you know, 
the the do it yourself is more like uh, it takes more time and you could even potentially like if you're not like wanting to go like one year from now, I want to get this all done. You could take a couple of years and maybe have a little bit more balance in your life. So I, I think it definitely preference, but I mean, there's, I mean, in my opinion, looking, looking at the, the two options, financially speaking, it's a lot more expensive up front. but I bet a lot of, I bet a lot of students are thinking, I want to get that much closer to becoming an attending, right? Yes. But yeah, they definitely, that was something people in my program would often say. They'd be like, well, I decided to do this so I can have one more year of attending salary, which is great if you link and you really are doing it much faster. But, you know, I don't think many people who, I mean, depending on the program that you're at, a lot of people don't link and it ends up taking them just as long or they end up taking time off in between their program and medical school. And so they don't go straight through and they don't, get that extra year of attending salary anyway. Hmm. Yeah. I, so like looking at the, these details, I mean, it's going to be a little bit different for every program and for every state, you know, depending on, on where you live, the, the numbers will be different, but I think universally you could say that this decision is a matter of, how quickly you want to go through this, like what pace you want to take and how, like to what degree having like a work life balance, so to speak, is a value to you. You know, when you're, you know, when you're, you're in your twenties and you're, you know, you finish undergrad and you could just be like, let's just keep running. Like if that's what you want to do versus being like, I, I want to maybe save up some money, work a little bit, take some classes. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think, you know, these one year programs are are pretty fast. It's a lot to do organic chemistry in five and a half weeks. You know, that's a, a pretty packed schedule and doesn't leave a lot of time for things other than studying. And so it kind of depends on if that's your cup of tea or not. In my program, I actually had a roommate who graduated from undergrad the day before we started. So she graduated on a Sunday afternoon and we had class on Monday and she just stayed right in her groove and went straight through. And she was kind of, she did okay kind of pacing herself all the way through it. And then our other roommate and I had both been out of school working for two years. So we had a a bit of a different experience coming in and going into like this full-time plus academic load after having not been in school for 18 months, two years. Hmm. Okay. Well, I, I think that, uh, if we could summarize this part of our discussion, I would say it's to take the time to evaluate the pros and cons of each course. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that in our, like in the educational system and in the, you know, the pipeline of, uh, students that want to go to medical school and then med school itself, there's a great deal of just because there's so much going on and there's almost too much information that a lot of people don't really stop and think for a, you know, for a little bit and just kind of plan out like what the, what the positives and negatives are of their choices. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say also to, to take the time 
when you're applying for programs and looking at programs to really kind of grill the program directors on how many people link per year and what their attrition rate is and how, you know, what their overall acceptance rate to medical school is and how many people complete the program but don't end up applying to medical school. Cause that's definitely at some programs kind of a culture thing where people will do the whole program and not do well and then not apply. But the, the program says that oh, we have a hundred percent acceptance rate to medical school. Well, that's because people don't apply if they're not going to get in. So I would definitely urge everyone who's considering this to really question the programs carefully and ask for true statistics on the success rates because there are some really excellent programs and then also you know remember universities are making money as well mm. right right well that yeah that's that's great advice i mean to ask questions i think sometimes we are we might hesitate to ask questions but when so much is on the line when so much of your life is and and money is on the line you owe it to yourself to do that yeah, absolutely. Especially once you get in, you know, don't necessarily go ask during your interview, I guess, but once you're in, you definitely should be asking before you pay a deposit or enroll or anything like that. Hmm. Hmm. Well, thanks for sharing. This is, this has been very, uh, a, an education for me. I, I was not familiar with these programs and, uh, I just, I mean, from my perspective, because I, you know, I work with a lot of, of medical professionals once they're like close to the end of residency or, and, and they're out um, of training. Uh, when we're looking at the massive debt that they have, it's made up of all these like little semesters here and there and these little programs here and there. And this one, I mean, I mean, in your case, we're talking about a potential savings of anywhere from, Twenty to fifty thousand dollars that would have that where your student loan amount your total amount would be reduced by that that's a that's a big deal it yeah it is it's um and i you know I was fortunate I had some money that I had had to pay for undergrad that I had not used, so I had some kind of money when I was starting but you know, I know some people who did, particularly some of the more expensive programs, who started medical school already sixty to eighty thousand dollars in debt, plus whatever they had from undergrad. And that's, I mean, when you think about that, like you're already starting so far behind to pay off with a huge amount of debt. What's going to be a huge amount of debt, no matter what. And I know that people sometimes say, like, oh, well, it's all, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to pay it off. You're going to be a doctor. Eh, I don't know. You know, it's that's still it's a massive amount of debt, and so definitely probably would have made a different choice if I could go back in time. But I really thought that I wanted this cohort structure with the support and things like that. And you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, I probably would have been okay without that. Hmm. Well, th thanks for being so open. You know, with your own experience, I I think. Uh, you know, people who listen to this will, you know, if they're, they're coming up behind you and they have this choice in front of them, uh, hopefully the, it'll create 
a pause and they'll say, huh, let me think about this. Um, and that's the whole point of, uh, of, the, of these discussions, you know, to uh, emphasize the importance of, of stopping to think and plan and reason on what's going to be best for you. And, you know, a lot of times we don't have all the information, like you didn't have all the information when you, when, when you made this, you know, made this decision. Um, but we can all benefit one another by sharing our experience with ones coming up behind us so that they're, they're better equipped to, to make, make their decision. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think that I would have ever, I mean, I think that when I applied, I truly thought that I needed the structured program to kind of get myself through it. And now that I've been through it, I'm like, I didn't really need that structure, but I don't know that I would have known that two years ago when I was applying, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, something, I mean, you can't regret, right. You're just like, well, I mean, you can't be too hard on it. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, one other thing I wanted to get your thoughts on is, yeah, cause you're, you've applied to medical school, right? I have. Yeah. So how do you view planning for the expenses associated with med school, tuition, cost of living, exams, applications for residency. Um, I know it's all like, those are a lot of things. And so I was just wondering, like, when you, when you look at that in front of you, are you taking the approach of like trying to like, like itemize it all and be like, okay, I'm going to pay for this one this way, or I'm going to, I know I have to put this just on the loans or whatever. What's your approach when you think about the upcoming expenses? Yeah, it's um, kind of overwhelming to think about all of the, the little costs that pop up over time. Definitely. And I think I, you know, I try to think about, like, I, I think I know that this cost exists and that I'm coming and I probably don't always do the best job, like planning for how I'm going to pay for it aside from knowing that it's coming, which might be better than some people, I guess. I don't know. I, you know, I think you and I both we were talking over the weekend. We saw something on, on med Twitter about a woman who found out her, a physician who found out during her second year of medical school that residency was a thing. You know? mm -hmm. So that definitely kind of knowing that those things are coming in advance helps and deciding if you're going to take it as it comes and put it on your loans or you know, take out a new credit card, which a lot of people do to apply to medical school. Um, and yeah, I think before I went to my postback program, I actually worked at a residency program. So I got to see how the residency application worked on the program side. And the program that I worked at attracted a lot of international graduates who tend to apply to quite a few programs and have very, um, like very expensive fees when they're applying to residency because they apply to so many programs because either schools don't match international graduates or things like that. So, and visa costs, they have to get a visa and have to find someone to sponsor the visa often. So that made me consider really how important it is to apply smart when you apply to residency and also has made me consider like when I'm choosing a medical school, I would likely, I mean, I will definitely pay attention to the school's success in the match program and in the match 
process and seeing kind of what the average percentage of the students who match each year would be because I definitely don't want to get into a position where I feel like I have to over apply and spend a ton of money applying to residency because the whole idea that you have to pay to apply to get a job is kind of backwards in the first place really when you think about it but yeah wow well that that's good that you've taken that approach to try to try to minimize the financial impact later on um you know to just have a knowledge of this entire pipeline like i i you know there's so many people like you mentioned there's so many examples where um there just hasn't been as much transparency as there as there could be about what the financial costs are going to be, what the time costs are. And, you know, even if there's a certain program, like the postback that you took, it's the intention is to be a certain amount of time, but how realistic is that for, you know, to have success, you know, cause nothing's perfect and that, you know, no one should be expecting perfection from, from anyone or any organization, but to have like a reasonable range and knowledge of, you know, what could happen, and the likelihood uh, is is sorely lacking. And so I, it's good to hear that you're taking the time to think these things through, even when your application to med school. Um, so, now, but like from the from the money standpoint, the actual dollars, you're like, well, this, you know, you know, I'm going to take step one. It's going to cost this much. Um, living expenses are going to cost this much. Is it over, like you mentioned, it feels overwhelming. Is it just something where you're like, well, it's so much data and so much to think about. I don't have time to think about that. Now I need to focus on what I'm working on right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some of it, it just feels like a problem that you can only do so much about, right? Like you can, you can know that it's coming and you can plan for it and, whatever money you have, whether you invest it or you save it, you know, however you choose to do that. But once, once you do that, like people my age, like, like don't have a ton of money usually, you know? And so you kind of can know that these expenses are coming without really knowing how you're going to deal with them when they do come. And that can be very overwhelming Mm. for sure. Okay. Well, I hope that uh, little by little, uh, you know, people like you, and uh, and I will certainly try to the best of my ability to um, make clear and try to not just like not overwhelm uh, people with data, but to give them an opportunity to ask questions and where they can find good resources. So it's um, it's really it's really good that. Uh, that uh, that you're willing to share your experience and hopefully more and more people will do that um do you uh do you have any uh comment or advice that you would give you know those that are you know a year or two behind you hmm. I, I think that my advice would be that people who know that they want to be a doctor are going to find a way to do it right they're going to find a way to pay for it and get it done. Um, but my advice would be that it's not 
there's not a rush to do it. Um, you're going to be okay if it takes you an extra year. Sometimes life happens. Sometimes there's a global pandemic, you know, and everything in the world stops for a year. And what feels like a big rush to you now may not feel like such a big deal a year from now. And so just kind of go slow and steady and don't burn yourself out before you even get started. I like that. Yeah. Balance. And, uh, Balance is important. Yeah. And like knowing yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. This is, this has been really, uh, really interesting. And, um, I, uh, I look forward to sharing our conversation with others in, in the coming days. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming on today, Hannah. And, uh, I will talk with you soon. Thank you, Tyler. My pleasure. Have a good one. You too. Everyone needs a financial plan. Money Mediator, that's the show. Tyler Olson, that's me. Follow me on Twitter at Olson Planner. That's at O-L-S-O-N-P-L-A-N-N-E-R. Visit my website, olsonconsultingmi.com. If you want to talk about uh, more about any of the points that we've discussed today, uh, please get in touch. The show is Money Mediator. New episodes every month. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.